0: How likely is relapse for those struggling with addiction, mental health issues and suicidal thoughts? Well, highly likely, according to my guests on this podcast, George Wood and Britt Brittany Eaton. Hello, and welcome to the God Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle, and George and Britt are here today to talk about a very important new book, uh, which I'm delighted to see has been released from Whittaker House in the States called The Uncovery. The Uncovery, understanding the power of community to heal trauma. George is an ordained minister, pastoral care counsellor, recovery ministry founder, and recovery activist. I love that term, George, a recovery activist. It sounds promising. He's the founder of the Sober Truth Project and the Timothy Initiative. Britt is a content strategist, writer, speaker, and discipler. They have both, I understand, struggled with addiction and recovery. And they're here to talk about the process. And that word process is vital to the discussion, as we'll find out. George and Britt, hi, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you hey,
2: for Brent. having us. Oh, yes, look, thank you so much for having us
0: here. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you both with us. Now, can I ask you both a general question to start off with, and then I'll come on and, and ask <laughs> you about your experience. But can I ask both of you, in what sense are all of us in recovery?
1: That's a, a great question to, to start right off with. But... Uh, I like to say it this way. I think that the moment that those of us that accept Jesus into our life as Lord and Savior, we enter into recovery because we are now trying to recover from our past life. We are now trying to live into the life that he died on the cross to give us. And it is a journey that takes all of our life, as Paul says in Philippians, that this won't be completed until the day that Christ returns. So we're all in recovery trying to live out this destiny, this call on our life, that really before the foundations of the world, we were given, that we are holy, blameless and and perfect before the Father's eyes. And we are trying to live into that the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior.
0: Mm. Yes. Britt, do you want to add anything to that?
2: Yeah. It's really just a truth. Recovery is for everyone. And as we say in the book, if that statement bothers you, recovery is probably for you too, (laughs) even if it takes a moment (laughs) to believe that it's true. And our goal really with this work is to start to destigmatize some of those surface level struggles that even we people in the church struggle with and to open up safe haven community for people to heal from the trauma that causes us to struggle. So yeah, recovery is for everyone.
0: Can I ask you both, uh, before we come on to deal with the individual your individual stories, in, in what ways do you think the church has often missed the boat when it comes to dealing with recovery?
2: Yeah, I'll take this one first. I'll just jump right in because this is one of my passion places. So I very much um, grew up in a very lockstep and legalistic environment. I very much thought I, I was very much subscribed to that Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God <laughs> Theology. I thought God was mad at me, wanted nothing to do with me, and I would lean into as an, in, you know, a relatively educated, a hungry individual. I wanted programming. I wanted something that was a lockstep process that made sense. The church is brilliant at coming up with programming. We have discipleship programs. We have curriculum that pastors can just buy and teach in their own unique way from the pulpit. We are so good at creating programs, but we are so bad at walking alongside people in the intimate um, and unique ways that Jesus did. And for mm-hmm. each and every person's recovery journey, that journey is as unique as they are. If Jesus were walking around on the earth beside us right today, he would be approaching people like he did in his day with a one-on-one encounter that left them transformed. But the biggest opportunity I think the church has is to stop seeing recovery as a program. Let's stop seeing it as assimilation. Let's stop seeing it as a lockstep process that people either need to check all the boxes or they're out. That kind of mentality isn't going to work anymore, not in today's world.
0: Yeah. How can we all recover from our—I've seen this so often in the community, not just in churches, but how how can we all recover from our stigmatization of people with addiction and mental health issues?
1: How can we all recover from that?
0: Yes, yes. Yeah,
1: I, I I think, well, I think it begins by, you know, really recognize I, all healing begins with being able to name what is wrong. And so we can't heal from that until we admit we have something wrong with how we do it. So the part of the issue is there's a lot of people that don't think how they view things is wrong. And so that makes it impossible for them to change the way that they're what they're doing stigmatizes things. So really, it it begins with really the light of God revealing to the world that we are doing things in a way that is harmful. And that is the first step in how we heal from that. And then after that, it's about being humble and recognizing that we don't have the answers and that only with all of us coming together can we even begin to come up with the answers.
0: Okay. Well, can I come on, George, and uh, ask you, first of all, a bit about your background and how did your own broken family situation fuel your sense of brokenness?
1: Yeah. Well, I think for me, my broken family situation happened so young that it really was the foundation for my brokenness, for the foundation for my broken identity, the lack of Um, Knowing who I was, the lack of believing that I was worthy to be loved, um, the sense of the abuse that I had been through, the psychological, physical, sexual abuse that I had been through, that I had deserved it, that it was um, my own way of living, and it's in some way, I had it coming to me, so that is this foundation for the brokenness that I end up growing into an adult and then living out with all different types of addiction with all different types of suicidal ideations. And my first suicide attempt was in 10th grade. And, um, you know, there was six of them throughout my life. And some of them even came after I knew Jesus. So when we have this broken identity, when we have this... Uh, sense of um, not being able to understand who we are and what we're actually worth, then there is no depth that we won't sink to. there is no pain that we don't think we deserve um, and there and there really is no destruction that we're not headed towards.
0: It, to what I think you've probably already answered this, but to what extent George has addiction been an ongoing battle for you?
1: Well, it is to this day. I mean, I can sit here today and tell you that I have 16 years sober today, as a matter of fact, ironically.
2: (laughs) So
0: (laughs) dumb.
1: But but here's the problem with that. that statement is that I still struggle with being addicted to just about anything that will numb me in times of stress or anxiety. I often say to the people I counsel, if you put a box of milk duds in front of me, I won't be able to stop eating them until they're gone, and I'm pretty much nauseous. I have no self control when it comes to certain things, and I'm embarrassed to say that. I'm I'm grateful. I'm I'm grateful that. Uh, thanks, but I'm grateful that I have not touched a drop of alcohol in sixteen years. Mm. Hallelujah! Praise no, the Lord! Praise but, the Lord
0: for that! Yeah, yeah. Don't be but, embarrassed to say anything on the show. You can say whatever you like. Uh, I'm, I'm it's, sitting. Not it's going, just I'm,
1: hard. It, it's I just know. a hard thing. Where the addiction is is still very ripe in my life. It it's, just comes out in different forms. I spend, let's just put it this way, I spend a heck of a lot of time sending Amazon packages back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you now I can join you in that addiction. I'm addicted to <laughs> Amazon packages as well.
1: I just I'm buying stuff I don't even need. I'm like I got three of these. They're going back, you know. So yeah, addiction is still a a ripe sense of a very big contributor in my life. It just is less destructive than it once was.
0: Yeah, it's a process. Mm -hmm. It's about a process, which is what we're going to come and talk about. Before we do, Brittany, Brett, can I ask Mm -hmm. you about your own experience with addiction and and the process of recovery?
2: Yes. And so it's so interesting when we're looking at the topic of how recovery is for everyone, you can look at my upbringing and Georgia's upbringing, and they really couldn't be any more different. I grew up in an incredibly nurturing, incredibly supportive Christian home. You know, that label, did you grow up in a Christian home? I sure did. <laughs> we checked all of our boxes. We were there every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every Thursday night for choir practice. We checked all the boxes. Does so, that even it, Does in- that make
0: it worse or better? <laughs>
2: Oh, oh, far, far worse. Not because of the the negative impacts of being together in community, but the expectation that simply showing up was continuing to help you earn your salvation each week. And that was a lie that I think my parents were taught over the years. And then indirectly, that came through to me that God was an angry God. I literally spent most of my childhood and my young adult life believing, you know, if you're driving down the road and you see a big Mack truck heading toward you and you say a four letter word before that Mack hits you and kills you that you're going straight to hell because you didn't get to repent of that little four letter word. I lived in that level of legalism. So that being said, my mom and dad were wonderful. I do think that they showed me the real Jesus. But just like George, every single one of us are only one or two decisions away from complete destruction. And I was one of those people. And because I had been in the church for so long, I got really good at hiding my problems. I looked perfect on the surface. I looked like this little Sunday school girl that had it all together, the perfect family, the perfect little upper middle class white bread package. But if you got under underneath the surface if you knew the depression that I struggled with the anxiety that I struggled with my my lack of self-worth how I did not remotely know who God was and so I couldn't possibly know who I was that was what Led me into a cycle of destruction, interestingly, about the same age that it happened for George. Like early in my teen years, I got very promiscuous. I got got very, you know, interested in experimenting and just jumping around doing all kinds of things. And I too had an attempted suicide at 15. Now, I will say there were some radical bootstrapping behaviors that happened for me in my own journey. I I, I tend to do things all the way. It's one of my biggest problems. I'm, I'm a perfectionist, and I will show up. If you give me a, plat- a platform to move forward, I will absolutely check every box on it. Um, and so I bootstrapped my, myself through high school, got through. Everyone was so proud of me that I chose life. I, and then I I went over and above. Joined the Marine Corps. I went to college, got my master's degree, got married, had the baby, did all of these successful things. I had, you know, a 15 year successful career in the corporate world. I still was really good at looking good on the surface, and underneath that anxiety, that depression, it never really went away. I just learned how to compartmentalize it differently. And I was actively in the throes of an eating disorder for 17 years. I was married for more than a decade and my husband didn't even know about it. That's how good I was at hiding it. So when we look at things like addiction, like compulsive behavior, things like that show up on the surface, it's really not just for those people who had, oh, this horrible lifestyle. Oh, the generational curses and all of this. kind. It is anyone who is struggling. And if we were honest and really wanted to admit to ourselves the things that we struggled with, if we could admit it to ourselves and admit it to even one other person, we might realize the stigmas that surround some of this stuff have no place, especially in the church. So for me, the dramatic transformation came in encountering the true father as a good father, as someone who carried such a level of grace that it's downright downright reckless from a human perspective. And when I began to even entertain the thought of receiving that grace i started to see that transformation in my own life and he has literally god has literally stepped in and restored every part of who i am i almost lost my husband i almost lost my child i almost lost my career i almost lost everything because of my afflictions over the years and jesus who i met in the context of this healthy and authentic community that was what made all the difference Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being in recovery leadership for years, it was amazing to finally connect with George. I said, all these, all these years, there has to be more than 12 steps. There has to be more than 30 days. And then George and I met. Ironically, in the middle of the pandemic, um, he was speaking on a panel that I was moderating about trauma and about, you know, this collective experience that the world is going through. And then we connected and said, wow, we have more in common than we think. Let's talk about this.
0: Awesome. Yes, it's grace, grace and more grace, isn't it? And uh, how, yes. the, how why the church thinks it can get away without preaching grace, I don't know. But uh, it, leads don't know. To all the, it leads to all these problems. But <laughs> what, what is what is the Uncovery process? And why is, I'm going to ask a double barrel question, which I was taught never to do, but I'm going to, why, what is the, what is the uncovery process and why is community so important for recovering addicts? Do you think both of you?
1: Sure. I, I, well, for one, let me just correct you on that last little bit of your statement. You said, why is it so important for recovering addicts? It's really, it's important for everyone.
0: Everyone. Okay. Yes. Yes. So
1: it, Let's just establish that right off the rip, that everyone needs a healthy, authentic community. Yes. So the process of the uncovery is this process of uncovering who God created you to be, uncovering that identity that God gave you before the foundations of the world. It is different than a recovery process because recovering is all about recovering who you were before your addiction got the best of you. But that person was never good enough to keep you sober in the first place. So why bother recovering him or her? Go all the way back to what God says about you and uncover that. That is something that is worth staying sober for. That is a person that is worth living this life transformed for. And the only way we can do that is in the process of community. So let's just think about it this way. No one person can bring in the kingdom of God. It takes everyone to usher in the kingdom of God. And it is the same way in the recovery process. You don't recover in a vacuum. It's why you can't recover in your counselor's room. You don't recover, you know, in an in a isolation. You recover, in know, in a community where you can live out your recovery, because otherwise it's just head knowledge. And so head knowledge can only get you so far. So that is why people that go into drug programs or psychiatric programs, they they're in there and they'll do fine. But once they enter the world, they don't know what to do. And and it's honestly it's similar to prison. It's like a guy is great in prison. But once he gets into the world, he doesn't know how to interact with people because he's been taught to only interact with fellow prisoners. Mm-hmm. So we need to understand that we have to walk out all of the gifts of salvation together. It's like the fruit of the spirit. It's like you, you can't walk out the fruit of the spirit alone, right? It's like if part of the fruit of the spirit is forgiveness, why well, need somebody to forgive? If uh, if it is love, why well, need somebody to love? So it's the same thing. So authentic community is where we live out life. And I don't think we have a whole bunch of authentic community happening in our churches anyways, which is why it is all about everyone and not just the person struggling with addiction. It's it's all of us that are entering into this uncovery territory.
0: Yes. Yeah. Y- yes. Do you want to add something Brit, to that?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to say one of the most interesting thing about this process, about writing a book about how to see recovery differently, is that even even our agents, even our publishers, anybody who was surrounding us in the writing and in the promotion of the book said, okay, so it's like another program. And we said, no, it's not a program. It's not another lockstep process for people to walk through. What we're really doing isn't even saying, hey, addicts, I know you've tried to recover this way. Now try to recover this way. It's not about behavior modification, Brent. That's the interesting piece. It's really about inviting people to understand whether you are someone who is struggling, walking at your own recovery, or if you're someone who's trying to love and lead someone through their recovery, Who, at whatever place you want to step in, we need to look at it and say, what would it take to build a community where you could be fully seen, fully known, and fully loved the way that God loves you on day one? You don't have to earn that position. You don't have to earn that place. And you also don't have to sit anonymous until you're comfortable with it. You can be fully seen, fully known and fully loved on day one. And then the bigger piece is, what if people knew they belonged before they ever behaved? They belong, they're welcome, they're safe here. So we're encouraging people, go find this community, like go find it. It needs to be there. And if you can't find it, Start by going and being it for even one other person. Be the kind of community that you want to see, a place where people can come and be safe to authentically share their struggles so they can have an opportunity to even ask, what's underneath all of this? What is it that's causing me to struggle in the first place and unpack their stories without shame? Mm -hmm. This is something, wow, the church is so uniquely positioned to do this, and yet out of fear, we just don't. We do the things that are clear and black and white and easier.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Can I just ask you both, what what actually causes addiction? Because you've got some fascinating material in the book on this.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a, a great question because it's also one of the misnomers that we're trying to really break, which is it's not choice, right? Right. So for so long, people have just thought that a person ends up a drug addict because they make all these bad choices. I can promise you that I've been strung out on heroin and I did not. That was not my choice. OK, mm-hmm. I didn't want to be shooting drugs into my veins. I didn't want to be living under a tree somewhere. OK, so to think that it's just simply choice, it, it's not at the heart of addiction is trauma. So what we the question we need to ask people is not you know what do we need to do in order to get you to no longer use we need to start asking, why did you start using in the first place? Because that's where we will find our answers to the problems in which we seek. Not how do you stop somebody from doing something, but why did they start in the first place? And always, now every person that goes through trauma may not become a hardcore drug addict, but every hardcore drug addict did go through trauma. That is without question. and And everyone agrees on this. But most people still end up in the realm of choice. How do we help people make better choices? And the reality is you've got to go back to that trauma. You've got to go back to what it was that caused them to go and find a different way of coping that was unhealthy in the first place. And it's there's not some gene that's an alcoholic gene. There's not all these different things that they've pursued over the over the years. There's variations of things, but at the heart of it always is trauma. Mm.
0: What do you both say to uh, someone uh, who we hear this often uh, in Christian circles and other circles? uh, Oh, it's all a matter of faith. You just have to have faith to believe that God will heal you. And the healing is automatic and the healing will last forever. And if you don't, if you're not healed automatically, when I say so, then you haven't got enough faith. I've actually heard that said from uh, pulpits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's a total load of nonsense. What what, what, yeah. what is your what, what is your reaction th- to that? I think
2: it's really I think it's really important to understand that God is Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer, and He always heals, but He doesn't often heal in the way that we think He should. And so, if we are stepping out in faith, saying we have faith for healing, we need to also have faith that God's process for this healing, the way in which He wants to uniquely show up in someone's situation, may not be what we had in mind. It may not be the prettiest kind of deliverance. Like, we had a section in the book where we actually unpacked the different ways that Jesus healed blind eyes. Sometimes a touch was all it takes. And then the next day, He's like throwing mud in some dude's eye. Like, it's really weird, them. and they'll spit on it's people. Sp- and it's like, Mm-hmm. And that's not very church appropriate. That's we just, not really can we suggest kind of that,
0: Can we suggest that to some of the tele-evangelists so that are <laughs> spitting on people on camera? No, <laughs> I mean, it would
2: it would probably increase the, the viewership, I'm sure, if we did it that way. But Sorry. the biggest piece mm-hmm. is we have to sometimes transcend what we think is a sure fire thing. And also what is church appropriate? We need to step outside of that and say, what does really being raw, real, and authentic with one another look like? And then what is healing really going to take? It's not just going to take a person being brave enough to articulate the real struggle that they're dealing with. It is going to take a collective bravery for all of us to be willing to step up and say, do you know what? I not only see you and I hear you I love you and I am moved with compassion for what has happened to you, not looking at it and judging someone else's trauma. One of the things that George taught me through the process of writing this book is that trauma isn't something that happens to you. It's not trauma. Is something that happens inside of you because of what happens to you. So really, we have no right to look at anyone and say your trauma is not valid. What you're doing right now, it's a sin issue. And if you would just repent, you would be set free. If you would just receive the healing, you would be set free. If you just had enough faith, you would be set free. It's junk. And let me tell you the honest truth. I I believe in instantaneous, miraculous healing and delivery. Great. I have seen it. I have personally experienced it. I cannot deny it. I'm believing for it. Go after it. But as leaders or as people trying to love and lead people through their recovery journey, have enough sensitivity to know when God might have a different idea in mind than you do. Stop like beating a dead horse. I hate that expression, but seriously, stop doing that. Take a step back and ask God, what else would you have us do in this situation? You might be shocked at what he
0: says. Mm -hmm. Yes, can I ask you in the in the short time we've got left about the Sober Truth Project and the Timothy Initiative, and uh, where can and where can people find you on the net? How can people contact you on social media? On the I love
1: that on the net on the net. <laughs> yes, so cool. throw your net and you shall catch me. I
2: love
1: it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So Sober Truth Project is really. Um, The birthplace of the book, honestly, it is a online digital platform that tries to change the messaging around mental health addiction and suicide prevention, tries to help people understand the bridge between science and faith and a better way that we can walk with people through their issues, through education, empowerment, enlightenment, and trying to destigmatize the way that we've um, viewed these, these processes all along. And so... Um, It is more of a a collective movement trying to help people see things differently and understand recovery differently. Um, The Timothy Initiative is an organization I founded uh, 12 years ago that works with men coming out of addiction. And that is really the precursor of where I learned everything that's in the Uncovery. where I started to have men see three and a half, four, five, six. I have men that have 10 years clean right now. And so on average, my men make it to three and a half years clean and um, 90% of the people that walk in our doors do that. So how is it that most recovery programs are really at two people out of every 10 make it a year? When I'm seeing 90% of my people make it to three and a half years, and it's really through living out the principles that we see in the Uncovery, the principles of authentic community and love and in grace and just hope that we surround one another with. Um, and you can learn more about both of those organizations on the web with um, at SoberTruthProject.org or TimothyInitiative.org. And you can also find me on the web at GeorgeAwood.com and on there. I offer, you know, my insights into, you know, counseling and pastoral care, and all of the different ways that I'm available to help people learn.
0: Mm, very good. The book is from Whitaker House in the states. It's called The Uncovery: Understanding the Power of Community to Heal Trauma. And uh, we've been talking to George Wood and Brittany Eaton. Thank you both so much for your time. Thank you for your honesty and thank you for your uh, bravery. And God bless you both.
1: Thank you so Thank much, much for you. having us. Been awesome. nice, it's been
0: you. an awesome discussion. Thank you both so much.
1: We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash God Story Podcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.